This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. And, um, I have been a pastor for 25 years-ish. Now, I think after 25, you just say 25 forever. Nobody wants to hear 36 or 37. Um, but you know, every year I come to this week in Advent and I ask the Lord to make the profundity of the Christmas story come to life for me again. And uh, there's something good about returning to the bedrock of our faith. Yes. Uh, for a lot of years, if I can get the house lights, that would be great. Um, for a lot of years, I have been obsessed with origin stories. Um, I love a good origin story because it tells you a lot about who someone is. And we recognize that our origin stories matter. Where you come from matters. And this is true of us um, in the physical world. In fact, there's a whole branch of science now that's telling us it matters, thank you. It matters how we come to, um, like it even matters how you were in utero. Even this matters. Where you come from matters. But in a spiritual sense, where we come from matters as well. Uh, probably even in a more important sense. Um, in the Christian faith, we have two origin stories. One of those is found in Genesis, and at some point we'll go line by line through Genesis. It's going to be fun, kind of like Leviticus. Um, we are going to, not, not today. But our second origin story uh, is found in the book, in, in the beginning of the New Testament when Jesus came to earth. Now, granted, God had been working on this origin story for a long time, from the beginning of time, but the birth of Jesus marks this great divide between before and after. The birth of Jesus paved a, pa a grace-filled way to God. Until Jesus, we had to follow a bunch of rules, and if you want to look back in February and remember with loving memories, the book of Leviticus. All of you wearing cotton and linen today, you're out. I am also out because I'm wearing some kind of polyester blend. Uh, before Jesus, this was the case. Um, but when we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is that God made a new way for us. He paved a new way. In the liturgical church, um, we know that for centuries they followed what's the church calendar. And in fact, today marks um, the new year for Christians. Did you know that? That like, in fact... As Christians, part of the way that Christians define themselves in the beginning, hundreds of years ago, is they said, you know, we're not like the rest of the world. We don't celebrate a new year on December 31st or whatever it was. We celebrate the new year with the beginning of Jesus because this, in fact, is our origin story. This marks who we are. And so in the church calendar, Happy New Year, everyone. I thought it was really, really awesome, Carmen, that you... Listen, I want to tell you that our creative director, Carmen, worked so hard to get that um, disco ball for us. This I heard your voice, Carolina. Do you know what? We have a whole creative team. Do you, things like the little videos before the sermons don't just appear. Did you know that? They don't just like find them and download them. They work on them and write them. And, uh, but the... But, but the disco ball is really appropriate because we're talking about the beginning of a new year. This actually marks our new year where we say, God, yeah, I'm going to start my year in remembering how I became a new person. And in the church calendar, the, um, they would use these advent calendars. If you, if you didn't get your advent booklet last week, we ran out. 
I believe we have a few small copies. After the service, you can run to the connection corner and fight for them, because that would be Christian-like. They are online, so you can download it online, and that's going to help you uh, make Advent intentional. But this week is our first week, the first Sunday of Advent, and oh, I just want to say I'm so excited. I was so nervous to light this. I have funny hands that don't do the things I want them to do sometimes. Dave is on, is on standby here, but look, honey. I can be a barbecuer now. Okay. This first week of Advent is hope, is all about hope. <laughs> Trying to light the Advent candle. Oh, no. I used to have all... Hold on, let me... Okay, okay. I lit them before. Yeah, it's worth an applause because... Someone said, are you sure it's okay that you use, my son actually said, is it okay, mom, that you're using real fire in church? Because he understood it's not about the real fire in church, it's about me with the real fire in church. <laughs> well, this is the first week of hope, and um, our text for this series is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and I love this version of it. It says, those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in spaces of deepest darkness, a light has dawned. This is a beautiful um, scripture. It was written thousands of years before Jesus was born. And in fact, the first week of Advent, the week of hope, really is speaking about the hope that uh, God brought into the world. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, prophets would speak about the hope of the Messiah. And uh, we're reminded in Isaiah chapter 9 that those of us who are in darkness, those of us who are in deep darkness, that Jesus came for us. There's something really comforting about that during the Christmas season because no matter who you are, no matter where you found yourself, all of us have found ourselves in darkness before where it feels like you cannot find your way out. And maybe this morning you find yourself here and you think, I am in deep darkness. We are singing these songs and you think, I can barely like, you know the feeling of like, you can't get your breath to get out the words you wanna say. This is why it's so important for us to come back to Advent over and over and over again, to remember that our origin story, that your story as a person God said that he sent his son into the world for the, for the whole world. So your origin story is a person, is that God so loved you in the middle of your darkness. I want to speak for a few minutes this morning about expectation. Because hope and expectation kind of go together. Um, you know, we all have expectations about Christmas time. Yes, I know this is true for all of us. Every year at Christmas... I always say that this is going to be the year that I'm going to be organized. I'm going to get all my Christmas. I have a sister-in-law who gets all of her Christmas presents done by August. And for a lot of years, when Dave and I got married, she'd call us to tell us this. And it, it really motivated me for about three minutes in August. And then I also have a sister, and I have a sister who is like... Um, She's like, she was able to French braid her hair at age two, okay? So she doesn't have my finger issues. She is able to do things. Her presents look beautiful, like beautiful. Like you kind of don't want to open them up. They're pretty. And I am a December 24th rapper. 
Anybody else? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every year I say to myself, this year is going to be different. This year I am going to go forth with organization. And every year something happens. You know, your expectation versus reality. I love all those. We keep all the Santa pictures with our kids because you always, you know, when, before you had kids. I know all you armchair parents out there. <laughs> your kids are going to be lovely. They're going to look beautiful on Santa Claus's lap. And you know, that doesn't happen. They sweat and they cry and they look terrible. And they, you had to give them a chocolate candy and the chocolate's all over their face. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Or how about like where you expect like a beautiful... My, our very first Christmas with children, I was very excited about it. And um, Amira, our oldest, who is not here, so this is why I can tell this story. <laughs> She's at university studying hard. For all the university students, we're praying for you these weeks, by the way. We know that this is a hard season, and you're studying and expectations. Well, anyways, Amira, we got Amira uh, all packed up to go to the candlelight service, and uh, she decided at two years old, I guess she was, yeah, around two, that she was, um, I guess it wasn't our first Christmas with children, it was our second or third, but it felt like a first, that she was going to do what parents lovingly called as the back arch. Do you know the back arch where you're trying to hold your child and they arch their back like they're a gymnast? And I know none of you have ever had that happen to you, only me. And she, I, I am a pastor. We had gone to a late service at my sister's church and my kid is like losing her mind in the service. And I then also, and like, I'm trying to say, I'll give you a present after this. If you cry, I am, was not above bribing. Nothing was working. I am sweating. I have curled my hair before the thing. Now my hair is totally straight. I'm probably wearing a silk shirt that does not go well when you're sweating. And I remember we got in the car and I said today, we just need to drive and look at the lights. And I was like near tears because this perfect, how I expected Christmas to be and how it was were two different things. This is a great reality for most of us. And I know this is not the worst. I won't share the worst with you because because that would be not prudent <laughs> in a pulpit. In, in just in case you're thinking, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? No, I can, there's only so much you can share on a Sunday morning, yes? But all of us, listen, all of us have faced that expectation versus reality. We want to preach a perfect gathering with family and friends, and we often go to Great Lakes to create that atmosphere. And... Um, our anxiety rises and our frustrations increase when we expect something and it doesn't happen. And I think um, the Christmas story really reflects this in a lot of ways. So for thousands of years, the prophets had been saying, a Messiah is coming. And he's going to bring light to you. Those of you living in deepest darkness, the light is going to burst forth. Now, if you're living under oppression, and you read Isaiah 9-2, light is going to burst forth. Let me just ask you, if I told you right now, today, light was going to burst in on you, what's the first thing you wish happens? For a lot of you, you wish that Visa would blow up and give you all of the money you spent back. That would be light. For some of us, it would be that our relationships would be made smooth that there would no longer be friction. People living in oppression back in, in the time that Jesus came, I suspect expected 
their oppression to end. This is what light breaking in on them looked like. You see, the people often, many of the people, had expectations that God never intended to fulfill. King Herod was threatened by Jesus' entry into the world. He expected, because he expected he was going to reign as king and nobody else was going to take his place. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders didn't embrace Jesus because they had expected a different kind of king. They didn't want a king that would threaten their carefully crafted religious system, the system that had elevated them and given them special status. They weren't impressed by a Messiah who would hang out with people whose lives were a mess. They wanted a Messiah who would come and prop them up and say, good job for following all the rules. Many people, when Jesus came, had different expectations for what Isaiah 9-2 meant. It ticked the Pharisees off that Jesus seemed to understand the religious law. He seemed to respect the religious law. And he also seemed to be above the religious law. And that annoyed them. It's interesting that when King Herod, if you read that, and I encourage you over this season to read the the nativity story over and over again. Partly, by the way, because what we often do as people is we say, oh, I know that part. And we just like speed read with our fingers. There's this interesting part in the book of Luke where King Herod asks the wise men, um, he, he asks them about the star and they tell him, and he brings in the religious leaders. And the wise men tell the religious leaders, hey, we're going to see this king. We believe it's the Messiah. And what's interesting is that the religious leaders never go. They never take any interest in that at all. It didn't compel them to go to Bethlehem to check things out for themselves. It's partly because they possessed a religious arrogance that kept the light from breaking in on them. Many other Jews couldn't accept Jesus because they wanted a militant king who would overthrow Rome by force, but Jesus just didn't fit the mold. He didn't meet the expectations, and people said, well, therefore, he must not be the Messiah. Those who were able to take Jesus in, this is true about scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Those who were able to take Jesus in were those who allowed God to reshape their expectations. Joseph and Mary got it. The shepherds got it. The wise men got it because they let their faith rather than their expectations carry them forward. Expectations are not bad or wrong. We know this. We actually believe in hope, in expectations, in faith. But it's never, never the means that we can get caught up in. It's the end that we get caught up in, that God came to us, that he broke in on us. Often we want a God who comes and meets our expectations, but listen to me, God is not interested in just being a genie in the sky who comes and meets your expectations. He is a God who is interested in remaking our lives. This is what he does over and over again. Say, okay, so how do we live with this tension? We want to have expectations, but we want to have the right expectations. What does the Christmas story tell us about our expectations? I I think there's a couple of things. The first one is this, is what you can expect this year is a divine disruption. Having a baby, we know this, was not on Mary's radar. She wasn't planning, uh, she was planning a wedding. It certainly was not on Joseph's radar. He knew, uh, he knew that he and Mary had had a pure relationship. They had had 
no sexual relationships. There was no reason to think that a baby would be part of their beginning together. Do you ever think about Every year I'm blown away by this. God thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take two people who are engaged. We're going to make the woman pregnant. It's such a weird, you have to let this blow your mind every Christmas. You have to, you have to let it like go, what? This was not, Mary did not lay in her bed at night and go, you know what? Really hoping that I'll be overshadowed by the Almighty. I'll have a baby. No one, it will be God. No one will believe me. I am looking forward to that. Joseph did not think, you know what, I hope that my, my fiance comes to me and tells me that she's having the son of God. No one will believe me. Everyone will think we're lying. People will laugh at us. Great. That is what I'm expecting. This is like a divine disruption if there ever was one. Here's my question, though. If this is our origin story, this is how God started it all off, everybody. Doesn't this tell you something about the way God works? Now, I, none of you get nervous that you're, when, when my daughter was little, she'd always be nervous about this for, am I also going to have a baby? No. <laughs> the good news is God doesn't do the same thing twice usually, so you're, you're safe. But he does have a way of upending our expectations. And this is why we're all on plan Z, or Z, if you're American. You know, you start off with plan A, this is how it was going to go, and then plan B, okay, okay, fine, fine, plan B, plan C, plan D. <laughs> we often end. God has a way of disrupting what we think is the best way. His disruption always comes, though. It doesn't just come to disrupt. It always comes with blessing. It's obvious um, from Scripture, we know this, that both Mary and Joseph belonged to God. Their hearts quickly surrendered to his plans. The truth is, at least in my own life, I've found the closer we are to God, the easier it is to surrender when he asks us to. I often um, will read the story of Mary and Joseph and just think, and Mary just went, sure. Yes. Do you ever think about that? She just went, yes. And then she wrote a song about it. Some of you who are journalers. When God disrupts us, we have this opportunity to say yes. But we can only do that when we have an actual relationship with him. And this is why he calls us to a relationship with him full time. By the way, this is why we have things like uh, revive nights because it gives us this moment to stop and say, God, I want to know, I, I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to be ready for your divine disruptions. As a staff, we were talking about, should we have like, maybe we shouldn't have revive night over Christmas time because people are busy. And you know, the more we thought about it, the more we thought, no, absolutely. Because if your Christmas season looks anything like my Christmas season, I actually need a moment to take my breath in and say, God, I need you. I need you to come and be close to me, closer than my very breath. What we can expect from God is that he'll always come and disrupt us. The shepherds, listen, he broke in on the shepherds. The shepherds were just doing their job. It was the same old, same old, looking after sheep and singing a few songs. They were used to the routine, the mundane, the punching of a time clock. They minded their business and their business was sheep. 
but out of the blue, God literally disrupted their lives. What's interesting about the character of the shepherd, all throughout scripture, shepherds are used to sort of denote like regular folks, people like you and me. And this is not the first time in the nativity story that God disrupts shepherds. Um, about the prophet Amos, if you think about the prophet Amos, in Amos verse 7, 15, it says, but the Lord took me from tending the flock, so Amos was a shepherd, and said to me, go and prophesy to Israel, just a regular guy. And God wakes him up, disrupts him. The man who had spent his whole career as a shepherd all of a sudden became the mouthpiece for God. How about the young shepherd boy, a dreamer with a multicolored coat? His name was Joseph. God disrupted his life in a major way. He used what was negative and turned it for positive. How about a shepherd who lived on the backside of the desert? His name was Moses. And God said, you're going to set my people free over and over and over again. Or David, who was a shepherd who slayed Goliath and led a nation to peace and prosperity. Over and over and over again, God takes regular people like shepherds, people who are of, like our society, by the way, has this whole uh, obsession with legacy. Do you know this? I don't know if you've ever stayed at night wondering about your legacy, like what will my legacy be when I die? And the truth is for 99.9% of all of us, you know what your legacy will be in 100 years? No one will remember you. I know I'm the bearer of bad news. Most of us, most of us are shepherds. We're just like regular. But you know what our God does not see? He does not despise regular people. He does not despise shepherds. He does not look at you and say, you are just merely a shepherd. He looks at you in your shepherdness and brings a divine disruption to your life. This is what it means to be children of God. This is what it means to hold out expectation that our God could be in the middle of bringing a divine disruption to your life. The question is, will you be close enough to say yes to him in the middle of that divine disruption? Or will you be like the Pharisees or King Herod amassing power and trying to keep your little system in place? What if God has a disruption for you that you never saw coming? So we can expect, if you feel regular, great, you can expect a divine disruption. This is where God wakes you up in the middle of the night and tells you that the way that you've been going is he's going to turn it around. God is the great disruptor of lives for those who know him and who trust him to work out all things for their good. Imagine if this is Mary, and you're Mary's mother, and Mary comes to you and says, God has overshadowed me with his child. I mean, Romans 8.28 is not going to suffice at that point. He works out all things for the good of those who trust him. I don't... I mean, you're saying to her, I I think this is not ever going to work out. People are always going to see you as the person who made up a weird story about how you had God's kid, and it's just so weird. But in God's scheme. His divine disruption always works for our good. Some of you might be in the middle of a divine disruption right now. You haven't called it that. It just seems like a disruption. But what if God is standing in the middle of this disruption? He promises us that he works out all things for our good. We can expect, we can expect that there will be disruptions in our life. How we respond to those disruptions is our choice. 
we can also expect a divine plan. Every event in the Christmas story from the bright star to the wise men from afar, the virgin birth and the place where Jesus would enter the world stage, every detail had been foretold. Next week, uh, I want to look at, we're going to look at some of those prophecies. Um, but here's the point. In the middle of the divine disruption, God has a plan for all of us. Now this looks great on a t-shirt. And we can also sing about it. He's got a plan, but I, I am, um, how many of you are out loud processors? Oh, there's only like three of us here? Okay, a few, few hands. It's kind of embarrassing because it means if you're an out loud processor, that when things go wrong, what you, I'm not saying all of you who just stuck up your hand, I'm just saying me. I generally tend to have to like work that out with my words out loud. I'm sorry to the people that have to know me. I tend, when a disruption happens, to say, it's never going to work out. Nothing's ever going to work out. It's going to be the, like I go to the worst case scenario. Is anybody else a catastrophizer? I have no people here. Where are my people? They're in the balcony. I see, yes, I see that hand. Thank you. <laughs> ah, but here's what we know from the Christmas story. Here's what we can expect. That God does have a divine plan. He is working all things out for your good. He is working out every single detail. And this means that you can rest in peace. I, I want you to think about the Christmas story. Every little detail, every small, I mean, he didn't have to put a star up in the sky, and yet he did. He didn't have to have Jesus born into a, a, a manger, and yet he did. Every single detail of Jesus' birth was planned and foretold. Do you know what's amazing about the gospel? is that in the book of Romans, we're told that we're adopted into God's family. Now, those of us that have engaged in the adoption process know this. When you adopt a child and when you have a child, you don't say, you know what, it's like 75, 75. No, you love them with the same ferocity that you love your child. Now, theologically, here's a mind-bending truth. So some of you, when I was just saying God planned every part of Jesus' life, you thought to yourself, well, it's Jesus. He's God's son. But then we remember that theologically, that God calls us sons and daughters of his. And the same intensity that God planned the birth of Jesus is the same intensity that he is planning out the details of your life. Isn't that insane? Like when you read the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus coming, Jesus coming, becoming God, coming to be God in the flesh. Jesus has, God has that much concern for your life as well. When I, when I digest that in a real way, now that, now don't send me letters. I am not, just let me clarify now theologically for you. I am not saying that you are Jesus or God. What I am saying is that we are daughters and sons of the Most High God. And if God loved Jesus, his only begotten son, he loves you with that kind of intensity too. 
How blessed are we? How blessed are we? This should undo us. This should undo us every time we think about it. Because God loved the world so much that he sent his son, that he got every detail worked out. There's a peace that comes when we understand that our lives are also part of history that God is writing. You are not just insignificant. The interruptions and disruptions of life of a believer are not random. but They're working together to accomplish a plan that God has set in place from the beginning. I love Psalm 138, verse 8. It says this, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. God is working out the plans for your life right now as we speak. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Jesus came to earth at exactly the right time. There's all kinds of, we can talk about that historically, maybe we will next week. Why Jesus coming at the time he did was the perfect time in history. Um, but suffice to say that the timing was perfect. I, I want you to know that in the same way, the timing of your life is perfect as well. So like God knew that interest rates were going to rise and that your mortgage was going to be due. I, I, I'm serious about this. I, I, I know that like this seems like we're talking about cosmic things, now we're talking about mortgages. Uh, but he, here's the weird thing about how Christians live often. We live with a dichotomy between the secular and the sacred, and there is no such thing in the scripture. There is no dichotomy between like, these are cosmic things we talk about, these are real life things we talk God's in all of it. And, and, and God is concerned He's concerned that you feel like you haven't had a baby yet and it feels too late and you don't know how to feel about that. He's concerned that it feels like everything's pressuring you. And in the same way that Galatians 5 says that in the perfect time, God sent Jesus. I want to I speak with every part of my being today that God knew the perfect time for you to be born. He had a plan for you. He sees you as a shepherd in fields and says, now is the time that I'm going to bring divine disruption to you. He has a plan. Oh, my eyes. So terrible to look at your notes when you cry. It's because I had a bunch of weeks off, right? So all the... I'm sorry. Isaiah 46, 9, verse 10 says this. God knows the end. It tells us that God knows the end from the beginning. It says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. I love this part of scripture because like God isn't afraid to call you what you really are. And you, I can call you rebels and just I'm just reading scripture. It's not my fault. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Our God is not just some... Um, agnostics believe that God is just sort of watching us from a distance. There was a Bette Midler song about that in 1985. God is not just watching you from a distance. 
He's organizing every part of your life. He's organizing every part of your life, if you'll let him. I mean, we can run and try to hide. There's no sense at some level. Some level, we just need to say, God, you are the one. Your purpose, I, I'm allowing your purpose to stand in my life. I'm allowing your purpose to stand in my family. Some of you need to stand on this promise. God, it feels like everything is gone. Everything has hit the fan. I, I can't do it. But God, I'm standing on your promise. It says your purpose will stand. And your purpose for me is good. We know that, that his purpose and his plans are good. And finally, what we can expect today is a miracle. The news that the virgin birth, the news of the virgin birth had to have traveled far and wide. Because, like, why would Joseph corroborate Mary's story if he hadn't believed a miracle had come upon her? If Joseph wasn't fully convinced that Mary was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, he would have been hurting and it doesn't even make sense that he would go along with it. He knew it was a miracle. There were angelic visitations. There was someone who became, who was mute, Zechariah, who then began to speak again. There was a barren woman, Elizabeth, in her advanced age, who gave birth to John the Baptist. There were people traveling far and wide, taking work off to come and see Christ. There were all these miracles. And, um, you know, many people encountered a miracle in order to see Jesus for themselves. Maybe that's what it will take for some of you to come close to Jesus. But again, let me remind us that this is our origin story. As daughters and sons of Jesus, the miracle birth of Jesus is how we became sons and daughters of God without God coming to earth. We would not. So it's our origin story that started in miracles. What's amazing about this is that I, I, I believe this actually tells us something about the character of God. He's a miracle-working God. He's a God who does miracles. Does miracles. He did them 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth. And he kind of did like every kind of miracle. Like a whole variety of miracles. But if God did miracles for Jesus to come to earth, I, I, just, I just know this. This is your story. This is how your story of faith started. God can still do a miracle in your life too today. He's able. He's more than able. Some of us, we've just we've sort of given up, like thinking, ah, I don't know. I don't want to have hope anymore. I've been asking for this miracle for so long. It's hard to have hope. I want to call you to hope again, to believe again to ask God for a miracle again. We can do that because it's rooted in scripture. This is not just some weird faith healing kind of televangelist business like send in your two bucks and we'll ask for well, inflation, probably 20. Uh, this, is, this, is the story of Je this is the story of Jesus that is rooted in miracles. Rooted in miracles. If you take away the miracle-working power of God, you no longer have a nativity story. If you take away the miracle-working power of God, you don't, you don't have an origin story. You, you take away all the miracles out of the Bible, and you've got a Bible full of big holes. You say, well, Jess, I prayed for a miracle, and my miracle, it didn't happen. The opposite happened. If it, listen, if I based everything off my own um, 
experience. Faith would be difficult. This is why we anchor and root ourselves in the word of God. The Christmas story calls us to believe God, to believe in a God who does miracles and ask him for miracles. Thinking about what story I would tell you in this, and I, I can only remember, I, and I feel like it was the Holy Spirit. I was um, probably about nine or ten. My parents took me to this um, a tent meeting on a mall parking lot. This is the '80s. If you do not grow up as a Christian in the '80s, you'll never, you'll never have the joy of going to a tent meeting on a mall parking lot, praying that none of your friends see you. very loud and there was straw in it. I don't know why. This is a real question I have. Why they brought straw in. There was straw at the front, I think, to make us seem like we were people of the earth. Anyways, um, if you've heard how my family came to Jesus, I knew God did miracles, but I'd never really seen something like, like, I don't know, myself, I guess, up close and personal. I don't remember who the speaker was. I don't remember anything. I was about eight or nine, but I do remember. The lady had been coming. She knew Jesus. And she had been asking for a miracle for a long time. She was completely um, deaf. And I, I know for some of you, you know people who are deaf that don't, that's not like a desire of their heart. So I'm not, I'm not here to say that every person that has every kind of illness, that's the desire. But this was a desire in this lady's heart to hear. I'm sitting enraptured. I'm in like, the, I'm at the back. I can't get my, I, and I think, well, they're just going to pray. And then the lady gets prayed for and starts screaming. And this kind of makes sense when you realize if you've never heard any time in your life, and then God opens up your ears. And you're in a church parking lot with bad sound system. <laughs> I, I just, from the time I was eight, I, I could never forget this. It was all over the news. It was in the papers. This lady who had been deaf from birth, the Lord opened up her ears. I never, ever not been able to believe that God does miracles. He does miracles. I don't understand how he does them. I don't understand. It, it, I, I, was, I meant to say this at the beginning. What God does is often illogical. Like, like, think about the nativity story. You can, there is no way on earth that you could have said, you know what, that's a logical way for God to come to earth. No, but it's always perfect. It's always perfect. And there is wonder and mystery and beauty in that, and there should be. Every Christmas, we should come to the Christmas story and go, whoa, weird and wonderful that Jesus coming to earth, the majesty, the wonder of that should reignite us. But it should also press us to ask God for miracles in our lives, to continue to ask him. So let me ask you this question. What miracle are you looking for today? Your origin story says this, that you can ask God for a miracle. You can ask him. You can ask him, and he's a good God that does miracles. You know, he didn't have to send an angel to Mary. He did it to bring him to bring her comfort. Our God does miracles to bring us comfort. That is just the way of our God. He didn't have to send the angelic host to the shepherds. He did that to bring wonder and awe 
He didn't have to have a light to guide the, the wise men, but he did that to guide them. God can do a miracle to bring you guidance. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? I just believe a couple things today. Some of you are in the middle of a divine disruption. You have wanted to give up. This morning, you want to say yes to God. I'm going to say yes to your divine disruption. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to say yes. Others of you are here, and you need to just reaffirm in your heart, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I know you have a divine plan. And still others of us are here, and we need to ask God for a miracle. Ask again. Ask again. Let faith arise in your heart. Let hope arise in your heart. It could be that this is the day that God wants to do something miraculous. Others of you are here, and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. Maybe you've never seen the nativity story as something that is personal. I believe God wants to come and enter your life in a very personal way today. I want to encourage you at the beginning of this Advent season to say yes, yes to Jesus. To put your hand in his. Say, God, I, I need you. I want you. I know I've done things that are wrong. I ask you forgive me. Romans 9 and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, that we will be saved. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter where we've come from. Some of you have been running from God for a long time. I want to call you today to say, God, I'm coming home. And I ask the prayer team to come forward. good about us um, praying with one another. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but if you're here and you need a miracle, maybe you need a reawakening in your heart, I'm just going to ask you to come right wherever you are. There's, listen, Logan is a godly man. Sheila is a godly woman, but there's nothing inherently special about, about these, but you are special to the Lord, you're special. Also to your wife and your husband, you're special. Uh, we don't, I it just felt like I just need to speak this for a minute. We don't actually believe that like prayer happens because people are, prayer happens because we say, God, I need you. And, and these prayer warriors are here because they actually are like, they've got a habit of saying, God, I need you. And they're going to do that right along with you. Some of you have never come for prayer before, but you actually know that today you need to believe God for a miracle. I want to encourage you. Use your legs, use your body, use your, we believe in a whole body theology. That our bodies actually are not just like, they don't just carry around our spirit, but they're actually part of what God has given us. I want to encourage you to come for prayer. Believe God for a miracle. And let's, let's believe that God's going to do miracles in our hearts this Advent season. He's going to change and transform us. Some of you are in the midst of a, like your relationships on the rocks. Let's believe that God's going to do just miracles in relationships this, this season. Yes. God's going to do miracles in our homes this season. Yes. He's going to do miracles inside our hearts that the places that were dead, God's going to bring to life again. So Jesus, I thank you for your people here today. God, I thank you that we can be called sons and daughters of the most high God. 
God, we, we're, we're grateful for that today. We're grateful for our story that is rooted in disruption. We're grateful that you had a plan and we're grateful that you're a God of miracles. And so God, I, I pray for every person here. The person that needs a miracle, God, I pray that you would do that just as you did years before. For the person that's feeling like they want to give up, God, I pray that you'd bring strength to them to lean into your purposes and plans. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We're going to close with a song. Would you come now? If you, if you need a miracle, if you need somebody to pray with you, would you just come from wherever you are? Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.